0: love that man not the guy on the screen that's an actor but I love Jesus there's just something even about the Son of God movie or something that connected to to him afresh I remember when he got a hold of my heart when I was 18 and I asked Christ to come and be my Lord and Savior when I was five and knelt down by the couch with my mom anybody remember getting saved when you were younger and in just that moment that was really special for me i think that was more fire insurance at that point (laughs) kind of scared out of my mind to maybe go to hell but i think when i was 18 i remember giving my life to christ afresh and that was more life insurance like you're my life you're my all i understand what you've done for me the life you lived my death that you died coming back to life so that i could have the Holy Spirit live inside of me. And it, uh, I don't know, it, it rearranged my, my ideas of my future. I was going to be uh, going into criminal justice at the time. I was going to be a cop. Don't I look like a cop? Um, and I remember when I was 18, just Jesus just became captivating to me. And I was like, man, I want to tell. At that time, I was like, I got to go home and, and tell my youth group about this Jesus that I met that he's not as boring as I thought he was. And, and, uh, and then when I you know, went into youth ministry, and here I am 23 years later, and I still I love reading the Gospels in particular because just the life of Jesus, um, it nourishes me. It's like an oasis for my soul. And it reconnects me to the why, uh, the, the white hot why of, of my, my life's, Obviously, meaning and occupation, but just my calling. And I'm just still stoked as ever to spread the word of his greatness and still amazed by his life and still growing to love him more and more as I get to know him more and more. And that's just my belief for anyone in this room, wherever you are, our our mission statement or purpose statement is to help everyone take the next step in their relationship with Christ. I'm going to take another step today if you don't mind and all of us are going to take another step hopefully to know him more is to love him more and just different aspects that you get to know him more you learn to love him more and attach your affections to the object of your affection jesus i read and reread the gospels this week preparing for this message uh, that i'm calling for lack of better words what made jesus successful i had a whole different direction of the message, but as I read, I just saw aspects of his life that stood out to me, and I'm like, he, he was obviously an attractive figure at that time that drew many, many people, and there were things about his life that I was like, man, there, he, there was um, ingredients to his success that stood out to me. And as I watched his patterns and his rhythms, his words and his wisdoms and his actions and his reactions and even his interactions, I, just, I felt like I was just watching his every move. And one verse that just reached out and grabbed me in my reading this week um, was captured in the video a little bit is John 21:25 where it said Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And this happens to be the last verse of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the last verse in John before it moves on to the book of Acts. Like I just could sit here and write all day long and this book could just fill books that would be the library that would fill the whole world if I wrote everything he did and everything he said. I heard a phrase a while back that intrigued me immediately, and it was this. This person, they lived a storied life. And I never heard the word story turned into an adjective before. This this person lived a storied life. And when I, I heard that, this last verse in the book of John came to mind describing Jesus' life. And, and I wondered what are the qualities or ingredients of living a storied life? And I started thinking about the heroic themes that we as a culture gravitate to when we think about good stories or good books or, or good movies, musty movies that hold our attention and things that popped into my mind when I think about why I go to movies and what makes a good movie or a good story. Things like adventure or struggle or love, romance, right? Or storytelling, risk, sacrifice, humor, impossible odds, battle, altruism, heartbreak, friendship, heroism, dreams, close calls, beauty, passion, and obviously redemption. In fact, I go to some movies and if they don't have these, these themes in them, particularly redemption, you get done with the movie and you're like, that was a big fat waste of money. Have you ever got, gotten to the end of a movie and you're like, that was the worst date night ever? <laughs> like, why do we just spend all that money? I, I've actually walked out of movies about 15 to 20 minutes in and I'm like, it just is not capturing any of these themes. I do not feel the suspense of disbelief I'm bored, I want my money back, I can't get it back, so let's at least leave and walk around the mall. That would be more exciting than this story. It's just not, kidding, it's not doing anything for me. Uh, We, as a family on Friday night, went to the Lion King. How many have been to the Lion King so far? And uh, I just didn't wanna have high hopes for it, but we decided to go all out and splurge and do the IMAX, and we hadn't ever done that with the whole family. And it's really hard for, you know, a 45 year old, which is my wife, she's older than I am. Uh, and I'm 44, um, gonna be 45 next month. But I like that for three months, she's just the old hag and I'm the, the young stud. And then I've got, you know, uh, she's not here this morning, so I can be way more free in my communication. <laughs> Um, And she never watches me online, so that's awesome. Um, But then my daughter, 20 and 18 and 16, and then to have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, to have a movie that really will capture all of our hearts. I think it might be this one, because I loved this when I was growing up. And the girls loved it, and and the boys. And we were on the bookends, and I was down here, and Heidi was down here. And we had all of our our spawn right here. Just our our brood was between us. Just throughout the movie, just being immersed in the IMAX and and, and all these themes are in that movie um, in Mufasa's voice. I just love that. And looking at my son singing out these songs, and I just want to be king, or however it goes, and they're singing, and my daughters are singing. I'm like, what a moment. We are caught up in a great story where animals are talking. You sort of forget that, you know? I want to live a good story. To live a life that echoes into eternity, though, requires a commitment to wake up each morning and pursue noble themes of what would be seen as timelessly remarkable as a story. These are lives that are noticed and known. And these are the stories that are remembered leaving a mark on the sands of time and in the hearts of mankind. One of my favorite passages um, of scripture that speaks to the power of living a good story is found actually in Hebrews eleven four, speaking of Abel. The author says this, by faith, Abel was commended as upright when God spoke well of his life offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. Anybody have someone that's passed away in your life and they still are present with you they still speak and and you know someone that's lived an amazing life because something that they've done heroically in time for you and your family maybe they broke the chains of generational sin or or took your family tree and rearranged it for the good and it, it went from being a bush of dysfunction and you don't know where you came from to you actually knew your family tree and your mom and your dad and your grandma and your grandpa and they changed everything they broke the the bonds of sin or maybe it's somebody like abraham lincoln that just like changed everything it's like though he is dead and yet he still speaks how can i live a life like that it certainly isn't just waking up in the morning and hoping for the best like there has to be noble themes in your life that you are leaning into and leveraging your life toward now as i study the life of jesus this is what astonishes me that the fact that his life still speaks with such power so long after his departure that right now on this planet, there are an estimated 2.3 billion followers of Christ, nearly 2,000 years since his death. That's amazing. Life still speaks, though he died and was raised to life, and it just virally spread. And I had this urge to sort of scour the scriptures looking for those hidden habits in his way of life that set him apart, that caused John, his best friend to say, the whole world wouldn't have room for the books that was written about Jesus' life if I were to write everything down. That's how storied his life was. And as I read through the gospels, I was just looking for the genius of Jesus. What was it about this this God man that was so profound. And and some of it was the simplicity and the purity and the altruism of his life. If I read even some of his messages or his words, it's not like they're so profound and deep like it's Shakespeare. It's, It's just so simple and pure, but it it got traction and it made sense to people. And to this day, there's just something about him where he's the most popular figure that's ever come to earth. He literally split the calendar from BC to AD. Imagine being that awesome. And so I was thinking, what, what did Jesus do that caused him to be successful? And you're like, well, he wasn't successful, he died. Well, the reason he died is because he claimed to be the Messiah, but this, this guy had people following him that were captured by him and, and bewitched by him and transfixed on him wherever he went, and there was a reason. There was a way of life and a state of being that he lived in that we can learn from as humans, especially if we want to be like him. It's not ethereal and it's not way out there pie in the sky. There are things he did and things that he said that we can be and we can say and do. The first thing that was so evident to me is he asked good questions. One of the phrases in Luke 20, it said Jesus replied to them, let me ask you a question. Some of the ones that stood out, I, I actually wrote them all out. There was like 140 some of them, but I boiled it down to 11 that really captured me. What is your name? What a core question. It's getting to know people's names. What are you looking for? Another translation of that is what do you want? He you wanted to know their desires. What do you want me to do for you? What are you thinking in your hearts? It's a a question that I'll ask sometimes of people out of nowhere. What what have you been thinking about lately? What, What are the marbles that are sort of inside of your mind right now? It's amazing if people just sit for a second and ponder. Oh, man, I've been thinking about this. Like, this has been dominating my thoughts. Why are you so anxious? Why are you fearful? Where's that anxiety coming from? Do you believe I can do this? Who do you say that I am? What were you arguing about? He wants to get right into the tension of an argument. What concern is that of yours? Or what's that to you? Or that's none of your business. Sometimes it's like you're concerned about something that is not your concern. That's not something you need to care about and carry. Does this shock you? That's an amazing question. Some provocative moment, he's like, is that shocking to you that I would say that or do that? And then do you realize what I have done for you? I say this as a parent all the time. Um, Another thing I noticed is he quickly found a tight group of friends to do life with. The minute he started his public ministry, it's like, I got to find a posse to be with. I got to find my people. I got to find my tribe. And this is so critical in life. In Luke 6, it said, one day Jesus went out on the mountainside to pray and spent the night talking with God. And when morning came, he gathered his followers together and chose 12 of them means there's a bunch of people following him, and he just chose 12, that he's like, you're my people. You're the ones I want to walk with and do life with and bear burdens together and go after mission together, and he, he got his tribe together. It's like everybody could be a follower of Christ, but not everybody could be a disciple that would be his follower. Third, he often got away to be alone because he knew his limitations, and this happened over and over again in Jesus' life, in the pattern of his life. It seems odd that the person who lives a storied life actually has to go into obscurity and have serenity and solitude in order to show up in life and have something worth writing home about, said about news about jesus spread all the more in luke 5 so the crowds came to hear him from all over the place to be healed of their sicknesses but jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed in many ways all this news is spreading all the more but he had to often withdraw as all the more was required of him so the more that's required of you the more you need to get away and fill your tank like Somebody wrote a book one time, Too Busy Not to Pray. Too Busy Not to Get Away and Be By Yourself. And, and some of us aren't really, really good at that discipline. We, the more that happens, the more we engage it and the more we burn out. And believe me, it, this, I remember this when i go to youth camps, like we just wanna burn out for Jesus and leave it on the field. If you burn out for Jesus, you're no good. Like, nobody needs to burn out for Jesus. He doesn't want you to burn out for him. He wants you to live well. And in order to not burn out, when sometimes more and more is happening, you got to do less better than more poorly. Four, he wasn't afraid to say no. This is my favorite one. Rising very early in the morning, this is right in the beginning in Mark Chapter 1, before Donnie left, went to a quiet place where he prayed. Again, he did that a lot. And Simon, this is Peter, and those who were with him, pursued him. And on finding him, they said, everybody's looking for you. And he told them, well, let's go to a nearby village that I may preach there also. For this purpose, I've come. And if you know where everyone was looking for him, he said, that's great that they're looking for me over there. But I want to go to a nearby village that's nearby there, but not there. And just because they want me over here, their emergency is not my emergency. No to them, yes to this, because I have a purpose. One thing I'm going to tell you, if you don't have a purpose and you're just throwing around no's, then it's a purposeless no. You have to know your purpose so that when you say yes and no to things, it's on the basis of what your purpose and calling is. I perused all the Gospels and found it to be very surprising that he said no more than I'd ever remembered to ordinary human requests, Tell my sister to help me with housework. No, she's actually chosen the better thing. Tell my brother to be fair with me about our inheritance. No, I almost hear him saying, and he did say it. Am I your arbitrator? Like, I'm not going to get in the middle of this. You tell him to be fair with your inheritance. I know why I'm here and it's not to like get in between squabbles between siblings. No, I'm not gonna do that. Stay in our town a little longer. No. And this is after there's still other people to be healed and people that are needy. He just knew it was time to go. And to the demoniac who said, let me follow you. Jesus said, no. No, you, I want you to go back and give witness to your people of what i had done for you. He said no to his close friends, his, his loving family. Give my sons a special privileged place next to you. No, not going to do that. Sorry, Mom. You're a little codependent and weird anyhow, but that's an <laughs> odd thing for you to ask me to do. Ain't happening. Stop speaking of your death like that. Peter said to him, and he said, no. And then he said, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. Tell us when the last days will occur. No. He said, that's not for you to know. That's why I hate arguments about eschatology and all these sort of cryptic, apocalyptic, end times conversation. No, it's not for us to know. Do you know that Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back? He's waiting for his father to say go get my children if jesus doesn't know we sure as heck fire ain't gonna figure out when he's coming back so when you see billboards they're like jesus is coming back in 2021 because the mayan calendar is upside down and i pieced together something you can just basically say no this was crazy when i was growing up everybody predicted when jesus was coming back and we were scared out of our minds. And I remember one time he was coming back on Friday and I was in a Christian school and it was like Tuesday and I was really scared because I had Michael W. Smith CDs and Amy Grant CDs and they had syncopated rhythm. And uh, that was demonic and satanic and plants bent away from them. And it was hell's bells and a lot of things surrounded the paranoia around syncopated rhythm. And so I took all of my CDs and I threw them into the Oswego River and repented. And then Jesus didn't come back on Friday. And I went out and rebought all the CDs on Saturday. So it was a horrible day. I lost a lot of money on that bad prediction. That happened so many times in my life. And then it hit me Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back. Why in the world are we trying to argue about that? All that we got to do is just live for him and say whenever you want to come back you're gonna find me living for you Amen. oh just the things that he said no to he demands of the crowds work assigned for us right here and now no do here in your own town the things that we heard you did over in Capernaum no give us today the bread you gave us yesterday no And just even common sense, law and order kinds of requests, send the crowd away. They're getting hungry. No, you feed them this time. Keep this crowd quiet. No, because if I do, even the rocks will cry out. Make your followers like those of John the Baptist. No, 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 no. And he just had a purpose. Number five, he was resolute. He had a plan from day to day. I I was reading in Luke 9, even through chapter 13, as the time approached for him to be taken to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he said, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. He was thinking about today and tomorrow and the next day, and he did it with resolution. He was determined and he was deliberate about his life. And I think sometimes you read Jesus' life and you think, oh, he's just sort of shooting from the hip and it's sort of helter skelter and willy nilly and I wanna be like Jesus. No, he was resolute and he knew this day and the next day and the next day, I know what I'm here for and where I'm going and what I'm doing. Six, he shared his life and thoughts through the steroid of stories. I say the steroid of stories because I, I think it's stories that allow hard truths to be accepted by people. In fact, in Mark 13, 34, it said, Jesus spoke everything to the crowd in parables or illustrations, and he didn't say anything to them without using a story. Isn't that crazy? There are things that I can tell other people in story form that if I just deliver the propositional truth in some intellectual argument, they will turn me off. And Jesus used a steroid of stories. I, I say that because my sister just had a transplant and 23 years ago, I gave one of my kidneys to my sister And then my kidney started to peter out over the last couple years. And my other sister gave her kidney to my sister a few weeks back. And what they have to give my sister is anti-rejection steroids. And I believe story is like an anti-rejection steroid that if you tell a truth embedded in a story, there's almost an anti-rejection steroidal, you know, component to it that even with my boys, I try to teach them things that they don't want to hear through stories. At night, I use this character I made up, Jimifin, and his friend, Bruce. Every time I say Bruce, that's what I say at the end. And he and Bruce go on adventures, but I'm always talking about Jimmophon and he does these adventures, but he really, he's really good at obeying his parents. (laughs) So they love Jimmophon and they wanna be like Jimmophon, but all I'm teaching them is you need to obey your parents because I've said, it says in Ephesians six, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right that it may go well with you and that you may live long on the earth, which means I won't kill you prematurely, (laughs) right? But they're like, I don't get that. But Jimifin, oh man, he, he, oh, he had that relationship with his dad, oh, he honored his dad, oh, he told his dad the truth, yeah, he did. He did. And you wanna be like Jimifin, even if you don't wanna be like Jesus, right? Story, it's amazing with my sons. And Caleb will say, there's a movie in my mind as I'm telling them stories. It's the way it was for people. And he wouldn't talk to people without telling them stories. How well do you do telling the truth in story form? He stayed active, exercised, and took care of his body. How do I know this? He walked everywhere he went. (laughs) Maybe this is because I went to Israel, but it hit me between here and there how long that was. And we took a bus But I was thinking, they walked there. Like when he went from the Sea of Galilee and Tiberias, and particularly Capernaum, and then they walked all the way to Caesarea Philippi, that was like almost 30 miles away, and Jerusalem is way over here. He went all the way out of his way to go to Caesarea Philippi to have one conversation. Who do people say that I am? And, And Peter says, I think you're the Lord, the Christ, the one who is to come. And this is where he says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades won't prevail against him. He said that in Caesarea Philippi at the gates of Hades where the Jordan River starts. And then he went 30 miles out of his way to go back where they were to go to Jerusalem to be crucified. He walked. He walked everywhere. Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee. Matthew 4, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out walking on the lake. You're not going to be able to do that, but he even walked on water. Matthew 24, 1, he left the temple, was walking away. His disciples came up to him. They arrived in Jerusalem. Jesus became walking in the temple courts. Jesus appeared to them while they were walking in the country. Jesus was walking along the road, and a man said, I will follow you wherever you go. I just picked out just a few of them. They walked everywhere. And you're like, well, that's not truth. That's just like a mode. They didn't have transportation. I'm telling you, it's important because he didn't live a sedentary life. He wasn't inactive, he wasn't living stationary. And I remember on my sabbatical in particular, having a coach and said, you spend a lot of times in meetings and you sit at your desk and you're doing a lot of things where you're sitting and you're talking, but you've got to get out and you've got to exercise because your spirit needs your body to be healthy. There are drugs that your body has inside of it that when you get out and exercise, it releases serotonin and dopamine and epinephrine. You need that stuff so that you don't have to have prescription drugs. There's drugs inside of you waiting to be like harnessed. I was like, oh, that's where I started to exercise again. I'm like, it's unbelievable how much more energy I have and how much lethargy I used to have just on the basis of exercise. In fact, I wrote a blog about it and John, his best friend wrote in 3rd John um, Chapter 1, verse two, John said, dear friend, I hope all is well with you, holistically and that you're as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. And I wrote in my journal on my sabbatical, as I've cared for my body, I'm amazed at how sharp my mind has become. My body needs my soul to be healthy and my soul needs my body to be healthy. And as I've worked out my body and become more healthy, to my shock, that immortal soul part of me has perked up and gained good altitude and thus regained a good attitude. My soul is carried by my body here and there. Then the natural drugs my body releases when I exercise restore the self-respect and self-esteem that create a healthy view of life, translating into soul food, nourishing my perspective on eternal things, kingdom critical perspectives that count both for the now and for the long haul. The body and soul are in the same yoke for once, pulling together, turning ground, taking ground. They're encouraging each other for a change instead of one succeeding at the expense of the other. They aren't at war with each other, body versus spirit. They are allies again, body with spirit, because when one wins, they both win. And it's a good thing to be as healthy in body as I am strong in spirit. And I hope I can remember this one. Life once again seems to leave me no choice but to choose between one or the other for survival. And I'm just, I I love just standing up before you and saying it's been over two, two years now and a couple months where faithfully, five times a week, I have exercised. And I have made this a part of my life and I can tell you it has drastically changed lethargy and energy and you cannot live out a storied life when you're lethargic. You'll live out a stagnant life. Your mind won't be sharp. Your soul needs your body and your body needs your soul. And I think all the walking and all the exercise kept Jesus at peak performance. 80 forgave people who hurt him releasing his pain to God's justice because he was human and he got hurt and injured and violated in his soul. And we know this verse, Luke 23, 34, Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. But even Peter remembered this about Jesus when he said in the book of Peter, when he was reviled, he didn't revile back. When he was threatened, he didn't retaliate, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. That means he let it go. I can't carry this burden. I've gotta let this go. I gotta forgive them. I can't take that hurt and that injury and allow that to embitter me and I can't be in a grudge match all the time and live a storied life. You know, you can't be bitter, filled with grudges and paybacks and live a storied life. You can't do it. You can't be successful. And even if it gives you a small burst of energy, because of your hatred to try to prove to that other person something out of the hurt, that, does, that doesn't have the stamina, that doesn't have the staying power. That's a shelf life kind of performance that's a reaction against, not a movement for or toward. He let things go. Ninety he felt compassion for those in need even when he was busy. I love this Matthew 9 36. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And this is this is a big one for me because I think as you get older, people become problems to be solved. And just for me, I have to train my mind to see the people. Even today. In the middle of being up here and sharing and, and putting cohesive thoughts together, I've got it in my mind. remember, as I see everybody here, people walking, people bending over, people sleeping <laughs> that every person in this room has dignity and there's a sanctity about their life, and I have to treat them with humanity. Do you see the people? Do you lift up your head? Do you let people affect you? Ten, he cried when he felt crushed and he didn't apologize for his emotions. John 11, when Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. And Jesus wept. That's John 11:35. 35. If you want to memorize a piece of scripture, it's just, there's only nine words right there. That's a whole verse. You could get under your belt today. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Just let me put it this way. What comes to your mind when I tell you Jesus broke down? It's comforting for me. That the human Jesus broke down, and he let things trouble him, and he felt pained by things, and he cried, he bawled his eyes out. Like even as I go over to Joe, Joe, in Carrie's house and I think about Andrew. And when I was down in the basement uh, where, where he died in his sleep and I was with Sherry and we were praying down there, I just went into different rooms praying and I just let, I just let myself cry for this boy. I let myself cry at times with his parents. But he also he laughed when he was filled with joy at something exciting in Luke 10 21 at that time Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit and as when the disciples came back and were starting to do this stuff and they were all pumped up that demons like responded to them and they they were able to do ministry and Jesus was overjoyed in the Holy Spirit I remember it was like 17 years ago Rick Petty brought in a painting to my office at the other church that I was at and it was Jesus sort of tilting back his head and, and laughing do we have that painting maybe they've fallen asleep at the wheel back there yeah um that that I remember seeing that for the first time and it was like I don't remember growing up even imagining Jesus having fun and part of the reason I was scared to go to heaven is because I just didn't want to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp, being with Stoic Jesus, having eternal church service in the sky. <laughs> Based on the church I went to, that felt more like hell. <laughs> and just that Jesus would laugh and have joy. Oh, man, that was huge. Or even the, the movie, that, The Last Picture. Just, I can see myself wanting to hang out with that guy for the rest of my life. Just wanted you to know that's part of having a storied life is she liked to be around people that are filled with joy. At 12, he asked for other people to help him when he was struggling. You're like, that's weird to have a storied life. You have to do that? Yeah, you have to do that or you're not gonna survive. It says, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he asked Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, to come with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and be with me. Right in here, there's actual no's and yes's. He said to the rest of the disciples, the other nine, sit here while I go over there. I don't want you to be with me. You nine, love you, not that much. <laughs> I got three of you that I'll take to the Mount of Transfiguration and I'll take to the Garden of Gethsemane. I want you to stay here and be with me. It, it's, just, it's crazy that Jesus needed backup and he needed support. And anybody who's lived a good life, if you just peel back some of the layers you realize, that they had guides in their life and sages in their life and they had a band of brothers or a soriety of sisters around them that made them who they were and they weren't successful of their own accord. They had people that would stay with them and be with them. I love those three words out of Jesus' mouth, be with me, be with me. I need you. You know, the people in life that a lot of times you think they're successful and they don't need anyone, it's amazing. If you just say, I need you, it makes you a person that's more appealing and and more, uh, what's the word, endearing to people. Some people just wanna help everyone else, but when you say, I need help, It releases other people to love you more because you're saying, I need you too. It's not just about me. Will you be with me? Two more. He lived to help others, not just be served himself. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Anybody that lives a storied life wakes up and says, "I I know my eyes naturally in my flesh. The fruits of my flesh are selfish. I want people to be about me. I want them to see me and notice me and serve me. But the people that when you have a funeral, they show up for that funeral, are the people that serve and love and give themselves away to others. They pay it forward with their life. It's been astonishing. I do lots of different funerals, but with Joe and Carrie, And what they've been in our church for the last 15 years. And every week, Carrie comes up and she gives me breath mints. Every week. And that's not just for me. That's for you. So when I talk to you, you're like, I really like that guy. But he stanketh bad. Every week, here's your breath mints. I love you. And Joe, he's at the door every week standing at his post. Anybody got a hug from Joe around here? So when, when you put out, this is just, let me do some algorithms here for you and let me break it down to something quantitative because you can, it isn't just qualitative. When you live a qualitative or quality of life, there is a quantity of life that just is like a bevy that busts loose. When we put that out on Facebook, it's like the hits on that, the shares on that, the the love on that, the likes on that, the comments on that. It was just like a massive tsunami of love. That's not accidental. They're living a storied life where they're seeking to serve, not be served. And so the minute they have a need, it just comes flowing over their direction. I mean, I post my messages, or they post my messages online. There's like 800 people that view it or whatever. They post Joe and Carrie online. There's 5,600 people. That's how much people hate my messages and love them. And the last one, he spoke to people with grace that fascinated them the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Finally, a rabbi showed up and gracious words were on their lips. And it said over and over again, he spoke as one having authority. And the authority they're talking about is not uh, uh, speaking down to people. It's like getting down with them and just talking at their level. And it wasn't like out of this world. It was down to earth. Yes. And they're like a rabbi that just gets dirt under his fingernails. And th- this guy speaks to us, and it's fascinating. Like, my eyes are fixated on him because of the gracious words that come from his lips. Look at my knee sticking out of my ripped jeans. <laughs> I noticed that out of my peripheral. <laughs> I just, this is, this is a guy and this is a God I can get behind. This is a guy for 23 years I've been repping for. And I love repping what, what he's selling because this is the real deal. And he gives us the genius of himself in these simple ways. And if we can live out just a smidgen of this, our world is dying for just a deep inhale of this kind of grace. So God help us, help us to live storied lives and storied lives sometimes mean suffering and mean death and mean tragedy, and those are the stories, because we're watching, do people overcome, do people fight through, do do they have bravery and courage, and then we're looking for love, and we're looking for adventure, and we're looking for beauty, and it's awesome because we read the Gospels, and we find it all in you, and every story that's out there of redemption is just a rip-off where they're plagiarizing the gospel. Any great movie is just a plagiarizing of the greatest story ever told. And it's the story of Jesus. And we want to live lives that are storied and successful, God, not stagnant, not sedentary. So cause us to go out to see the people, to let people affect us, to be moved, and to live out to some of these basic ingredients of a good story. We love you, God. We love learning more about you so that we can learn to love you more because there's more of you to love. Send us into this week as your ambassadors that we would inject a vaccine of goodness into this world this week. And we pray this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. so